Hello everybody, Dr. F. Scott Field here, and I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor. The NPTE Final Frontier is the review course that I wish was around when I took the board exam. For those of you who know my story, it took me a handful of times to pass that exam, and quite frankly, I really wish I had an, a, an exam review course around, uh, just like the NPTE Final Frontier. Uh, check out their website, NPTEFF.com, and use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field, uh, and we have a very special guest today, one of our new co-hosts, Dr. Don Magnuson. Don, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. I've uh, like to say that I've assembled a team of academic Avengers. I feel like I've got a superhero group of, uh, of amazing people here that are coming on to help host the show. And uh, I love the fact that uh, we've got so many varying views and viewpoints and different angles that we're coming from and different people that are doing different things. So, uh, so pleased to have you join us. And uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about your academic journey and how it's led you to here today. Sure. Well, first, thank you so much for the invitation. Um, yeah, when I saw the other folks too, I'm like, this is going to be amazing. So again, just thank you so much for the invitation. Um, as I was thinking, <laughs> when you asked the question about my academic journey, I was like, okay, I need to give the cliff note version because the full version, maybe there can be an extended podcast or something because that might take a while. So I'm, I'm going to try to give everybody sort of the cliff notes version. Um, but especially given the work that I do currently, I think it's important to um, even share with folks a little bit more about my childhood and my upbringing because it it helps folks understand why I'm so passionate about the work that I do currently. So um, for folks that don't know, I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, in a relatively poor area of the city. And when we look at various different um, maps and graphs and things like that, the neighborhood in which I grew up uh, was, was relatively socioeconomically disadvantaged. Um, and uh, when I think back to my childhood, um, you know, many of my friends and many of the families living in our neighborhood uh, had immigrated to the United States from places like Mexico or Laos or Vietnam uh, at the time. And many like mine had limited educational and socioeconomic, you know, other economic resources. Um, both my folks had graduated from high school and had kind of what we would call maybe blue collar jobs or things like that. And um, I was really fortunate to have an exceptionally supportive um, and nurturing home environment. Uh, you know, parents, family members that really cared for me and, and loved me. Um, and I did well enough in school to go to college. I, I didn't really know what that meant because nobody in my family had ever done that, but people I knew in school did that. So I thought it was, I guess I'm supposed to do that too. I didn't really have a whole lot of um, direction, but you know, again, that's that's what I did. Um, I'll fast forward through kind of my varied interests and in things like economics and psychology and math and pretty much everything because <laughs> I just can't make up my mind and maybe that's part of my problem these days. But um, uh, but all of that ultimately led me uh, to a degree in biology and and to physical therapy school um, where I learned pretty early on that physical therapists worked with young children and that was the first time in my life I thought oh. 
I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Um, and so really in PT school, I focused a lot of my education and my attention um, around services for children. And I, I again was fortunate that uh, upon graduation, I was able to work in early intervention. So that's a program uh, where therapy services are provided to children and their families in their home um, for young you know, infants and toddlers under the age of three. Um, so that's what I did following graduation. I did that for a number of years and I absolutely loved my job. Um, I got to play with kids all day and work with families and it was really um, pretty amazing. But kind of over time, uh, I became to notice or became more aware of some of the disparities in the services uh, that children were receiving, um, the quality of those services, the amount and frequency of those services. Uh, and at some point, I also came across this news story that really sparked my interest in global health. And so many of these different things led me to pursue a certificate in global health. So I did that from uh, the University of Wisconsin. And it was during that time that I was learning more about concepts like health disparities, uh, social determinants of health. Um, but I realized I didn't really have to travel that far to observe these differences or disparities in children's outcomes. They were really all around me um, where I worked and certainly where I grew up. And so all of these things, as I was learning more about these concepts, um, just again, really started drawing me into wanting to better understand these things, uh, but also work alongside families to address you know, the, the various barriers and challenges they were experiencing. So I remember asking one of my instructors through the Global Health Certificate Program, like, you know, here are my interests, what, I sh what should I do? Uh, and she recommended that I pursue a PhD in population health sciences, where it's really about understanding the health of a population, in my case, infants and children, um, and, and, you know, using that information to inform programs, interventions, and policy. But the the thought of going back to school just <laughs> sounded like the worst thing ever. I'm like, Dr. Durkett, you realize, right, that I, I get to play with kids all day? Why would I give that up to go back to school? Um, so I kind of actually dismissed that idea um, for probably a year or two. But again, things just kept like building up within me. Um, and it eventually reached a tipping point where I decided, okay, I can just like become numb to these things and not think about them or take that next step to, you know, learn more about them and actually, you know, work to address them. And so um, I ultimately took her advice um, and returned to school for a PhD in population health sciences. Um, yeah. And so that uh, through that program, um, much of my research used national data sets, um, state level data to examine disparities in children's use of early intervention services. And I'm sure not surprisingly um, for many folks, we found a number of disparities based on things like race, uh, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, um, language proficiency of the family uh, and other factors like that. Um, and so my dissertation work led to a post, a two-year postdoctoral fellowship uh, where I, I really had an amazing opportunity to work alongside families of children with um, developmental concerns to further kind of understand and explore the mechanisms underlying those disparities, really as a means of informing, you know, programs, interventions, maybe policy changes, so we could work to reduce some of those disparities. And so all of that <laughs> then led me to um, a faculty position at the University of Colorado, where again, much of my work uh, centers around working alongside again, caregivers of young children with developmental concerns, as well as early childhood providers to, uh, again, really support community-led solutions, community-led ideas 
to address some of the, the disparities we know that exist in terms of both identifying young children with developmental concerns uh, and you know, ensuring that they're able to access uh, early intervention services. So that's kind of it in a nutshell, <laughs> how I came uh, to be where I am today. So yeah. hopefully that was enough of the Cliff Notes version. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, again, I I, I kind of look at, at you and, and Todd Davenport and Mike Eisenhardt as some of my role models, um, you know, especially in the world of population health, because it's something that I think physical therapists have a really good approach at and, and a chance to make a really big impact moving forward, you know, and I, I don't think that... We even realize, I say we, uh, we as the profession even realize how well possession, positioned that we are to help affect things like population health. And I don't think it's something that you just like graduate from school and start like killing it in population health. You know, I think it's something that definitely needs to be worked on and tweaked a little bit and, and probably some more education along the way. But I definitely think that physical therapists need to be a major player in in that game. I think we need to have a place at that table. And so, again, I, I really applaud people like you and Todd and Mike that are just doing the legwork here uh, and, and just people that, I again, I've looked up to for, for years in this. And it's where I've got my knowledge, you know, for population health. So thank you for all, all the work you've done. And uh, again, I, I look forward to, to many, many more uh, projects coming out over the next couple of years. So. Uh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, well, and if I could just, you know, interject just really briefly, I think, um, I think sometimes where we as therapists get a little maybe overwhelmed or hesitant to kind of dive into population health is because from the outside, it can, it can seem it can feel really big. Um, how do we as therapists who historically have worked, you know, kind of one on one with patients, how do we, you know, we can't, we don't want to give that up. And the idea of, of kind of improving the health of a whole population feels really daunting. Um, but what I would encourage listeners to think about is the population is whatever it is. It's not the whole, you know, it's not your entire city or your state or the whole country. For me, my population is infants and toddlers with developmental concerns. Um, some folks focus on, you know, individuals who maybe have just had total knee arthroplasty, like that's your population. And so the population is whatever it needs to be, whatever is your population of interest. And really what population health boils down to is using data, both quantitative and qualitative data to understand the health of that population, understand where their gaps and disparities, and then leveraging that information to make things better. <laughs> and to reduce those gaps and disparities. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. But I think people view it as, oh, I need to work to improve the health of every single person ever in the history of the world. Um, and it, again, it can be it can be whatever folks need it or want it to be. So, so yeah. For that. And, and, you know, from a physical therapy business model type thing, right? Let's say you're working one-on-one -on -one with a patient, right? That's great. Uh, you know, you're going to help that patient, right? But at the end of the day, let's just say I'm a cash-based physical therapist and I charge $200 a visit, right? That's a pretty good rate for a physical therapist to walk out one hour session, $200, great job, right? If we don't start thinking about how we can move our one-on-one -on -one services to one-on-many, we're, we're, A, we're going to suffer, right? And that's one of the issues that we're running into with the debt-to-income ratio, right? But also, I can charge less for my services if I'm treating a full population, right? If I'm charging $20 and I'm, I'm 
educating 20 people all in the same population, now I'm making $400 for that hour and I'm charging people less, right? So it's like a win-win there. You know, I think we have to start thinking about how we can bring our services on that one-on-one level to that one-on-many level, you know, and there's many, many ways to do that. It's not just about treating or educating, right? There's books, there's courses, there's, we can do a lot. We can do so much and we have to start thinking a little bit outside the box. And like you said, you know, don't think of it as so daunting in this big thing, right? It's just, it's another way for us to help people, right? Just more people. Yeah. And, you know, kind of your conversation, um, as you were talking, I was reflecting on the way a lot of the way that I see a lot of therapists leveraging kind of a population based approach is through risk stratification. And so, you know, looking at your own clinical population, let's say it's patients with low back pain, a lot of folks are using very screening tools to kind of stratify uh, risk and outcomes within that population. And so you can identify folks that are that are more likely to have good outcomes. So yeah, maybe they have a one-time visit or something like that, that you do some patient education, they're, you know, um, independent with their home exercise program, like outcomes for that, for those folks are probably going to be pretty good. And so um, again, there's some pretty basic things you can do versus, you know, folks who are maybe at, at high risk for poor outcomes. Well, gosh, now let's really look at our services, really maximize our um, license kind of practicing within our scope of practice to really support those individuals. So we're, we're going to, you know, keep track of the folks down here that are kind of low risk, but let's really figure out how can we better support the individuals who are at high risk for poor outcomes. So that again, we're kind of, um, almost in a way sort of tailoring our, our level of service, you know, to individuals needs. And maybe, you know, the folks, the low risk folks, like you were saying, maybe we do, you know, even some, God forbid, you know, some group <laughs> sessions or something like that, but a way again, to be more efficient with our time and resources so that we're able to spend and give the amount of time to folks that maybe really need it. Maybe we need to bring in some mental health support or maybe even bringing in, um, you know, some behavioral health specialists or just different things like that. So uh, again, it, it, it frees up our time so that we can really dedicate our knowledge and our resources and our skills to those folks who really need that sort of level of care. So that's just, you know, again, another example of the way that folks are leveraging sort of a population-based approach um, to their practice. Yeah. And I, you know, I think you had the key word there is leverage, right? We can leverage our degree as physical therapists so many different ways. And if people just start to realize that the profession is going to be fine. You know, it it seems like a lot of doom and gloom out there these days and, uh, you know, people wanting to jump ship and leave the profession. And, you know, I get that. But at the same time, it's what you make of it. You know, you can literally turn your degree into anything. I mean, we've we've got a a wide you know variety of options at our feet. So it's it's up to us to, to make it what we want it to be, you know. Yeah. I love that. You know, one thing I talk to my students about a lot. So in our program, um, in addition to the research that I do, I also teach in our health promotion and wellness series. And one thing I talk to students a lot about is don't worry if you haven't seen these things in practice, like they're increasing in practice, but a lot of times students come into our program. They're like, well, I've never seen health promotion and wellness in a PT clinic or things like that. Like, what does that look like? And I encourage them, don't worry about what you've seen in the past. 
imagine a future that you want for yourself and for your patients and make that happen. Don't worry if you've never seen it before, yeah. just create a whole new path and just exactly. go down that path. So I think sometimes we get stuck on this, well, we just keep doing things the way that we, that it's been done. Um, and so I, I, I've been really excited to see just the innovation um, and passion of our students and just yeah. really thinking outside of the box, like, well, why can't it be this other way? I'm like, there's no reason it can't be just go and make it happen. So yep. yeah, I think that's such good, good advice. Well, speaking of creating your own path, uh, let's talk a little bit about areas of interest for you and what, uh, what you'd like to talk about on the show over the next uh, many, many months. <laughs> what don't I want to talk about is kind of my problem <laughs> that I have these days. Well, that's all right. We're okay with that. <laughs> Um, but no, um, so, you know, again, just given, um, my background as a pediatric therapist, really thinking a lot about, um, health equity and steps that we can take within our profession to, um, ensure that students graduate with the skills to really understand, um, the lived experiences of our patients, understand, um, the challenges as well as the successes that, um, that folks have experienced to really be able to um, meet their needs, um, not just meet their needs, but really build on their strengths as well. I think as PTs, we're often so focused on like kind of that, we look at things very much through a, a deficit lens. And so kind of shifting our lens a little bit to really um, just really see the full person, the full human in front of us to again, build on their strengths, but also address, um, you know, some of the challenges that they're experiencing. So again, really thinking a lot about health equity and how we as a profession can work kind of in, in fulfillment of, you know, the guiding principles of our mission and vision statements to really think about health equity and our role in reducing uh, and, and, eliminating um, many of the health disparities that exist. So that's certainly a topic that I'm really passionate about um, for some of the reasons that I that I mentioned earlier. Uh, I'm also kind of along those same lines within our program and, and talking with colleagues from around the country, really thinking about how we get back to um, centering our profession around the three pillars of what it means to be a health professional. So I think in many uh, DBT educational programs, entry-level programs, we focus so much time and attention on the technical skills and knowledge of being a therapist. The more effective domains like you know, just connecting with someone, our compassion, our empathy, our communication, um, how we're just able to connect with our patients and other people. I feel like sometimes those things are not emphasized as much and just kind of overlooked in favor of, again, these technical, this technical knowledge and technical skill yeah. that, you know, many experienced clinicians would say, well, that stuff is fine, but what you really need to do is to be able to connect with your patient and, and really understand them and, and work alongside them as a partnership. Um, and so uh, I think that's, again, another area that I'm really passionate about is, again, trying to ensure that entry-level programs are balancing those three pillars. Certainly the knowledge is important, our technical skills are important, um, but we talk about those three habits of the head, the hands, and the heart. And so ensuring that, again, that third pillar, habits of the heart, are as strong as the yeah. other two. Because I always I talk with people about um, a stool. If you have a stool and you have those three pillars, if you kind of weaken the one or take it away altogether, the stool collapses, it falls over. And so again, um, to really fulfill our professional obligations to our patients, to society, we need all three of those pillars to be really strong. And so again, 
finding additional ways to strengthen and enhance kind of those affective um, skills, kind of those habits of the heart. So that's another topic that's, um, yeah, kind of been filling my mind <laughs> yeah. recently. Yeah, uh, EQ, emotional intelligence, soft skills, bedside manner, communication, right? All of that kind of leads to the like triple aim, right? And like getting patient right. buy-in. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and again, I can do bed to chair transfers a hundred times and practice that and get my technical skills down. But is that really going to help me connect with the patient, you know? Right. Uh, so, I, you know, I think that's important for sure. And I think a lot of us that go into healthcare have that naturally, um, but not always. I think there's some people that either don't have a high level of it or are lacking in it a little. And, and it can be taught. It's difficult, but it can it can be taught. You can get better at it. Uh, so I think that'll be interesting to kind of, you know, see like people that are on a high level, people that are maybe at a low level. How did they get better at it? You know, things like that. That'll definitely yeah. be a, an interesting journey to pursue. So, yeah. well, Dom, thank you so much for your time and for coming on. I definitely look forward to hearing some of your episodes in the future. Uh, we ask all of our guests this one final question. And so we've been asking our uh, new co-hosts it. Uh, if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change? How would you change it and why? So I think um, <laughs> I'd probably build on some of the things that I was just alluding to. Again, really trying to balance our habits of the head, habits of the mind, habits of the hands and habits of the heart. Um, and I think again, it's just really critical to ensure that students graduate, understanding that all of those things are really critical to be a good, not just yeah. good, but really excellent um, physical therapist. And yeah, healthcare so, is hard. Yeah. It's complex. Yeah. And so how do you do that in a way where, again, it's just more balancing those things and, and being able to, um, I think, come into environments and feel confident in all of those skills or maybe recognizing where you have a deficit in some of those and, and working on those as well. So uh, again, and I think like you said, many students have those things, but sometimes they get lost along the way because we're focused so much on, you know, the the technical and kind of cognitive skills. And so, um, so those are things that I would like to see changed. And I think um, for us as educators, it's really on us to provide more intentional and meaningful learning activities. So students really see how these things are woven together. Um, I think in many times the way many of our programs are designed is you learn the technical skills in this class, you learn kind of the communication habits of the heart in this class, and students see those as like distinctly separate ideas. Um, and I think we often don't do a good enough job of helping students weave those things together um, in our cases. And so that's where I see a lot of folks kind of shifting some of their attention is, well, yeah, we have kind of these separate courses, but can we have more touch points between them so students can see those explicit connections, the importance between knowing, again, the technical skills, the knowledge, and ensuring that we're providing those things, delivering those things in a way, um, you know, that is patient-centered and, and really uh, done through a partnership working alongside of our patients and caregivers. So um, so that's kind of where I see a lot of folks kind of turning some of their attention is is bringing those things together in a more intentional and meaningful way for students. So yeah, for sure. Uh, do you know Zach and Stephanie Gabor by any chance, the Level Up Initiative? 
We had them on the show uh, years ago. It was probably two or three years ago at this point. And they started the Level Up Initiative, which is, it's all about, like, they felt like they didn't get a lot of that in school. There there wasn't enough soft skills and and communication stuff being taught. And so they kind of set out on a mission to kind of help new grads who felt like they didn't have that support to kind of get that support and to kind of learn, you know, how to take that up to the next level. And so, uh, you know, definitely for those who are interested, check out uh, those guys. They're doing great things. Um, yeah. It's called the Level Up Initiative. I think they've joined up with the uh, Certified Athlete. So, what it is. so it's, it's Cal U now, but it's, uh, again, just look up Zach and Steph Gabor. Um, and and they're doing amazing things. Speaking of which, where can people reach out to you on social media and the interwebs if they have more questions and want to just catch up with you and see what you're doing these days? How can people find you? Yes, I'm on Twitter occasionally (laughs) at Dawn Magnuson, uh, just my my normal regular name. So awesome. We'll uh, drop that in the show notes so people can find you easily. Don, look forward to uh, hearing uh, your episodes here in the in the near future. So we'll uh, we'll look forward to your your episodes. And again, thank you so much for your time and for coming on. And look forward to working with you. Great, thank you so much.